Good morning, Emmanuel. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing in Ephesians this morning. Now, the theme of our worship this morning was the name of Jesus, or Jesus' name. And this may seem not to fit exactly because I'm going to be talking more about the Holy Spirit today. But when we talk about the Holy Spirit, Jesus is glorified. And actually, the Holy Spirit seems to draw attention to God the Father and the Son more than to Himself. But as a member of the Trinity, it is appropriate for us to worship Him and praise Him. And without the Holy Spirit... I would not know God as my Father or the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And so I love the Holy Spirit for that. And it's through the Holy Spirit that I feel the presence of God. It's Him who's with me, um, who's with us, um, who never leaves us nor forsakes us. So I do want you just to repeat after me this morning. Bless the Holy Spirit. Bless the Holy Spirit. Praise the Holy Spirit. Praise the Holy Spirit. We love you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. 45 years ago, my dad retired from the Air Force at Fort Lee, Virginia. And while he was signing his retirement papers, I was sitting outside with my mother waiting for him on the base. And my great-grandmother, Grandma Belk, had recently died. And I asked my mother, I said, is, is Grandma Belk in heaven? And or hell, you know, she said, well, she's in heaven because she, she believed in Jesus. And I said, well, I want to know that I can be in heaven when I die. And so she explained the gospel to me in a way that a five-year-old could understand. And I prayed with her and Received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And when I opened my eyes, I remember seeing a dove land on the ground in front of us and then take off again, which kind of reminds me of, of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove when Jesus was baptized. But I think what was more significant to me than the dove was. When I opened my eyes, I felt the presence of God and this cleansing or this cleanness. I felt that I had been cleansed and forgiven. And the Spirit bore witness with my spirit that I was a child of God. <clears throat> I've been talking. Uh, last time we talked about our inheritance 
the inheritance of the believer. And in Ephesians 3, 11 uh, through 14. Um, so let's look at that again. And we'll see how the Holy Spirit ties in with our inheritance here. Verse, Ephesians 1, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for revealing the word of truth to us, and we thank you for giving us your spirit, which you promised to send to your people, which you promised to the disciples, the spirit of promise. We thank you, Lord, that we have an inheritance in Christ and that the Holy Spirit is the seal of that inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Lord, speak through us today through your spirit. Father, and, and help us to understand your word, and I pray that it will lead us to greater joy and greater assurance and to greater worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul told the believers in Ephesus that they had obtained inheritance in Christ, and as believers, we also have an inheritance. And we talked about several truths, uh, three truths last time, about the inheritance of the believer. And, and the first we talked about, were, the first was the believer's inheritance is in Christ. And Christ is the one who... Um, prepares our inheritance for us, and, and really our inheritance is Him, it's being with Him forever, being with the Prince, being with the Bridegroom as His bride. And the second truth we talked about was the believer's inheritance is determined by predestination. That God has predestined for the meaning of time that we should have an inheritance with him. And the third was the believer's inheritance is given for the glory of God. And God is glorified in the inheritance that we have given him and that his promises and his inheritance are tied up in his glory. We can rest assured that we're going to receive the inheritance he's promised us that he may be glorified in that. And so... Two more today, truths about the inheritance of the believer. First, the inheritance, the believer's inheritance is established by faith. Let's look in verse 12 and verse 13. 
that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And I want to say, I guess, before I get into this, this is a wonderful, wonderful passage full of of wonderful truth, um, just very deep truth and beauty. I I do pray that God will help me to do it justice. Um, But it is, this is a wonderful passage. Um, So that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, and him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we talked about Paul in this passage. He's talking about two, two groups of believers last time. The first group is the Jewish believers or either the Jewish believers who first trusted in Christ or just those who first trusted before the Ephesian believers. And what is true of the first group is also true of the second group. So the Jewish believers that included Paul, we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. And then at the end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So, the Jewish believers, the first group of believers, trusted in Christ, and also the Ephesian believers trusted in Christ. And really, we're part of that second group. We're part of the Gentile believers. What's true of... Paul and the Jewish believers and what's true of the Ephesians is also true of us. But Paul and the Ephesian believers and the, the Jewish believers, all these believers that Paul talked about, they, they trusted in Christ to the praise of his glory. And they, they trusted in him after they heard the word of truth. Romans 10.9 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And what happens when we read the word of God, the gospel, which is the power of God, into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, what happens when we hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminates the scripture, he raises, he enables us to understand it. And then... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's the word is heard, there's the hearing of the word, and the Holy Spirit illuminates the word so that we may understand. And then, as we'll see later in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, when we get there, that faith is a gift from God. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit helps us to understand when we hear the word and he operates in our heart in such a way to regenerate us so that we can believe. He actually gives life to us when we're dead in our trespasses and sin, as we'll also see in Ephesians 2, so that we believe when we hear the word of truth. And 
repent of our sins. And so the believer's inheritance is established by faith. So it was when we heard the word of God, the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of our salvation, that and the Holy Spirit illuminated us and regenerated us so that we were alive and illuminated us so we could understand the scripture and we were given the gift of faith. We believed and repented of our sins that our inheritance was established at that point. And in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So we believe, we received the word, we accepted the word, and it was a, a repentant faith. Uh, we know that faith is without works is dead. Faith is said to be turning to God, uh, and repentance is saying, said to be turning from our sins, in a sense. Two halves of the same coin, but there's one turn. We turn to God in faith from our sins, trusting him to save us, turning away from our sins. And our inheritance was established through faith. And having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So look again in verse. So the believer's inheritance is established by faith. And then look in verse 12 through 13, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So, um, the believer's inheritance is established by faith, and the believer's inheritance is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. The believer's inheritance is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. According to Paul, when we believe, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he began to indwell us or to reside within us. And Paul said that when this happened, it was as if God the Father had marked us with a seal. Now, when I think of God marking us with a seal, and this is a metaphor here, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, but in a real sense, we were marked with the Holy Spirit. And I think of a, you know, a stamp and, you know, you would put wax on the paper and then you would stamp it. And that was your signature. You know, that this is from me. It authenticated that the document came from the king or the messenger, whoever the messenger was that wrote that when they stamped their seal on the paper. And sometimes that seal would be on the scroll. It would be on the outside of the scroll and it would be stamped and sort of sealing it shut as well, um, the document. And so that 
uh, the person who opened the scroll would know that it had not been opened. It was sealed shut. That's kind of what I think of in terms of a seal. Now, Peter O'Brien and, and before him, Andrew Lincoln, talked about the seal as being like a um, the the uh, I'm sorry my uh, I'm th- forgetting but brand like the brand on a cattle on cattle you branded your cattle with the seal or the mark of the owner the mark of ownership and that you would brand cattle and in some cases historically you would brand slaves with your seal not not a good practice but um, but it was a way to brand and mark um, something as yours. Um, so a seal has a lot of meanings, um, or there's a lot of different kinds of seals. Um, and a, a third one is James Montgomery Boyce talks about the Sanhedrin sealing the tomb shut with a stone to secure it. So a different kind of seal, sealing something shut or securing something with a seal. Calvin writes, having maintained that the gospel is certain, he now comes to the proof. And what higher surety can be found than the Holy Spirit? Having denominated the gospel, the word of truth, I will not prove it by the authority of men. For you have the testimony of the Spirit of God himself who seals the truth of it in your hearts. This elegant comparison is taken from Seals, which among men have the effect of removing doubt. Seals give validity both to charters and to testaments. Anciently, they were the principal means by which the writer of a letter could be known. And in short, a seal distinguishes what is true and certain from what is false and spurious. So again, this would be talking about the stamp put on a letter um, is the way Calvin is kind of looking at it. A stamp uh, that, that... that showed the validity of a charter, a testament, a document. And Charles Hodge writes, there are, there are several purposes for which a seal is used. One, to authenticate or confirm as genuine and true. Two, to mark as one's property. Three, to render secure. In all these senses, the believers are sealed. They are authenticated as the true children of God. They have the witness within themselves. They are thus assured of their reconciliation and acceptance. They are moreover marked as belonging to God, that is, they are indicated to others by the seal impressed upon them as his chosen ones. And thirdly, they are sealed unto salvation. They are rendered certain of being saved. The sealing of God secures Their safety, the sealing then of which this passage speaks, answers all these ends. It assures of the favor of God, it indicates those who belong to him, and it renders their salvation certain. Um, So just to to summarize that again, to authenticate, a seal authenticates or confirms as genuine or true. As Charles Hodge says, it marks as one's property, and it renders secure. And the Holy Spirit as our seal does all these things for us that we are authenticated to be true as God's people, his children to be belong to him. Our salvation is true. We're marked as his property and we're rendered secure.
by the Holy Spirit. Um, so, uh, I also want to look at a couple of passages. First uh, John five ten. First John five ten says, "He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not." believe God has made him a liar because he has not the believed the testimony that God has given of his son. So we have a witness. Those of us who believe have witness within ourselves. And then Romans chapter eight. Verse 14 and following. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, and that shows that we're sons of God as believers. Um, And we've received the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, We cry out to God as our Father, and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're His children and heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So there's several evidences there, right there in that passage, ways that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit when we're led by the Holy Spirit. Um, he guides us. And also we cry out to God. Who do you cry out to? Um, I, I, I remember I've had, if, you're, if you're, you have a bad dream or night or, or if you're in, experiencing some trial, and you cry out, God, help me, Father, help me. Um, but we cry out to him. The spirit also bears with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's this inner, inward testimony in our spirit that we belong to him, that we're his children, and we suffer with him. We suffer with him in the sense there's, there's the suffering of, of putting to death the flesh of crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires, of, of crucifying temptation of sin, uh, of pulling those teeth out, uh, the teeth of sin. There's the suffering of persecution and trials that we go through as his children, as people. Um, if we suffer with him, we may be glorified together. So I guess... 
when we're talking about this mark that God stamps on us through the Holy Spirit, who is the mark for? Who is the stamp? What's the seal? Who is the seal to signify to that we're the children of God? Well, it, it signifies to God himself. He marks us as his. It signifies to us. It's a, a testimony to assure us, to give us assurance that we are his children. Um, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, as it says here in Romans. And, and it also, um, as, as Hodge said, they're indicated to others by the seal impressed upon them as his chosen one. So, I mean, the Holy Spirit, by giving us the, the gifts of the Spirit, whatever spiritual gift we have, by giving us the fruit of the Spirit, um, and... As Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruit. So there's a seal, a mark to others, the Holy Spirit's mark on others, so that other believers can recognize that we're the children of God. And not just other believers, but Jesus said um, that uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And love is a fruit of the Spirit it's a mark of the Holy Spirit that signifies to others in the world even that we are the children of God. The seal on us is a seal and mark to God himself. It's a seal and mark to us. It's a seal and mark to other believers and to the world that we are the children of God. And it also is a seal, I think, to Satan in a sense of, you know, Leave them alone. I mean, he can do some things to us. He can tempt us. But it kind of reminds me of the story of Job that Satan had to get permission from God to mess with Job. And uh, even then, God said, but you can't kill him. You can't take his life. And God says, "Uh, you can do this and that, but they're mine. You can't take them away from me because Jesus said that that no one shall snatch us out of my hand or out of the Father's hands. So Satan can't snatch us out of the Father's hand or the Son's hand because we are sealed and marked with the Holy Spirit. And that seal says of protection on us says, hey, <laughs> they're mine. You can't take them away from me. Um, so praise, praise the Holy Spirit uh, for sealing us until the day of redemption. Um, And I want to also now look at this next part. Uh, This is exciting, but... um, So we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Um, We have that assurance. Um, So in verse 14... I'm sorry, I'm in Romans still. Let me turn back to Ephesians. Let's make sure we're in the right place here. In Ephesians chapter 1 again. So, in him you also trusted, in verse 13, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of, of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So 
were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And let me stop there and say the Holy Spirit was promised um, in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Um, in the Old Testament, I'm not going to read it right now, but look it up. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And in John 15, 26, Jesus promised the comforter to the disciples that he would send the comforter who would guide them into all truth, right? And into the knowledge of the truth. Um, and to the parakletos, uh, the, the encourager, the comforter, um, as the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent and promised to send and then sent in the day of Pentecost. So that he was promised, this Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So he's the guarantee of our inheritance. And if you're looking at King James Version, you have the word earnest. And he's the earnest of our inheritance. And, you know, that kind of sounds funny. It's not a, it's an archaic word that we don't use uh, anymore. And, and I'm thinking of, you know, earnest goes to camp or something. I, I don't know. It's just, it's kind of a funny word. But I, I don't know if any of you know any earnest today. But, um, but an earnest was a down payment or a pledge and it was so a pledge would be like um hey i'm gonna leave you know you with my uh i'm gonna i you know i forgot my money in the car here's my driver's license (laughs) i'm gonna leave you with my driver's license and i'm gonna go back and get my wallet and and uh i'm gonna leave my purse here and go back and get my wallet or something you know, just so you know, I'm going to pay you. Um, an example of that would be like, and this is not, it's kind of a crude example, but in the Old Testament, um, in, in Genesis 38, actually, uh, you have Judah going to a prostitute, and or a prostitute invites him to come in, Judah, the son of Jacob. And that prostitute happens to be his daughter-in-law, Tamar, who's trying to deceive him because she wants an heir and the first two sons she gave him died mysteriously and the third one you know he 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 won't give him his third son for some reason he's afraid that she's going to curse him and he's going to die as well so she wants an heir so she goes to her father-in-law to get an heir which is strange but but she disguises herself as a prostitute and he has nothing to pay her so he leaves her a pledge yeah, I said it was a crude example as, a, as it is, but he leaves her a pledge, his staff, and his seal, interestingly. Um, that, and so, you know, that's something you definitely, I won't, definitely want to get my staff and my seal back because yeah, that could be bad if, you know, prostitute has my seal or keeps my seal or whatever. Um, mark, mark of who I am, that I was with her, and the staff, and so forth. So, these were valuable to him. He left her with her and said that he was going to pay her back. And he comes back and she's gone, right? And so he finds out that she's pregnant later and he thinks that she has, you know, done something vile. So he's going to punish her. And then she pulls out his staff and seal and says, hey. And then he realizes, oh, man, I'm, why am I judging you when I did this? And, and so he you know, gives her a tent and lets her have her children and, 
makes them his heirs and, and leaves her alone. But the point is, it was a pledge that he made and said, here you go, here's my staff and seal, I'll return with a full payment. And so that's one way, one meaning of the earnest or the guarantee of our salvation. And the second meaning is a down payment. So, you know, if you make a down payment on a car, you're basically saying, here, here's the down payment, I'm going to pay the rest later. And I think in this case, under this illustration, though, you don't really get to take the car <laughs> until you uh, make the full, uh, the full payment. But it's sort of a, here's part of, here's part of this, and then I'm going to give you the rest later. Um, and this down payment kind of ensures that you're going to get the rest of the payment. So, but it's sort of a down payment to us that God is giving us part of the inheritance and it assures us that he's going to give us the rest of it later. So how is the Holy Spirit a part of the inheritance? Well, think of all that we have through the Holy Spirit. You know, we have God's presence. We have his comfort. We have his encouragement. We have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'm sorry, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we can use to um, serve the church of God. And so think of all that we have. We have, we have Christ's presence we, with us. And he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So we have something in part that we're going to have the full payment of later. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be in the very presence of Christ. We're going to see him. And we're going to be able to touch him and, and see him. At, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. And we'll have our new body so we can experience him um, in the best way, in a new spiritual body, his presence. And we'll be perfect and free of sin so we can be in his presence. So all that is coming, the inheritance that we talked about a couple Sundays ago, the rest of that is coming, but we have a foretaste of that in the Holy Spirit, a down payment. Um, we have part of the inheritance, and we're going to get the rest later. So, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So this is the most difficult part of the passage, but it's also fascinating to me. Um, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So what does that mean? First of all, we've got to figure out what is the purchased possession. And the purchased possession is, there's two views of what the purchased possession is. Is it our inheritance? Is that the purchased possession that Christ purchased our inheritance for us on the cross? And so basically he's given us, or in a sense, He's given us, uh, yeah. He's he's given us, or he's he bought he bought the whole the whole possession on the cross, the inheritance, and he's given a down payment to us. Is the purchase possession our inheritance that he's purchased for us, or is the purchase possession us? Are we the purchase possession that he's redeemed? And he has redeemed us. He's purchased us with the blood of Christ and bought us out of sin. But he hasn't really come to claim us yet. 
as his own. So he's paid for us, but he hasn't come to claim us. So let's say you buy a, a, a movie ticket, and but then you go to the theater with that ticket, and let's say you know God gave us the Holy Spirit as a seal, a mark, and then he comes to claim us. But you go to, you go to the theater with that movie ticket, and you give the ticket to redeem the movie and to redeem what you've purchased. Um, or, in a sense, maybe you redeem a coupon or a receipt um, that you have. You use it to redeem something. Um, so those are the two views. And I kind of th- was thinking, and, and most of the commentators went with the latter, that we're the purchase possession. So it's the down payment until or the guarantee or the pledge and that would that would represent the pledge so like um you know you brought back okay you brought back the money with and exchanged it for the pledge or whatever that you left um but i i sort of most of the commentators said that it's it's that we're redeemed that when God comes and redeems us or he collects us as his purchased possession that he's already bought and paid for. But I kind of thought that this idea of the purchased possession being the inheritance kind of fit the context a little bit more. Um, that there's a down payment and the full, we receive the full payment. Um, and then I got to thinking, you know, Maybe, maybe it's a little bit of both, because in a sense, um, this idea that God sealed us and then he comes and redeems what is his, that, that goes with the second idea, that God is redeeming us as a purchase possession. And then the other idea that he's made a pledge or a down payment, and then he, there's the full payment of the inheritance, and, and that we get to redeem with the Holy Spirit our inheritance and as the full payment. And I, I kind of wonder if Paul is sort of made this vague inten- intentionally to say that we're going to be redeemed at his possession, but also the purchased possession of our inheritance that he's purchased for us, we're going to redeem that for ourselves. God's going to redeem us as his possession, and we're going to redeem him our inheritance is our possession. And we're going to take the Holy Spirit, the mark of the Holy Spirit, and say, hey, I'm yours, I want the rest. And we're going to redeem our inheritance and with our seal. Kind of like when you go, you know, you leave the park and they stamp you, you know, if you go to the theme park and then you want to get back in, you say, hey, look here. <laughs> This is my admittance. This is my ticket in. I've got the Holy Spirit. I'm coming to get the rest of my inheritance, to redeem it. And so it's a little bit of both because God's inheritance is us, and we're his inheritance. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, he's our inheritance. His inheritance is us, and he is our inheritance. And so... He's and he's bought and paid for our inheritance, and he's bought and paid for us as his inheritance. So I told you this is deep, and I don't know if I'm doing it justice, 
but it's exciting that we're going to belong to him and he's going to belong to us. And that is the inheritance we're going to share together. We're joint heirs with Christ. And then everything he has in addition to us is ours. And we're going to enjoy it with him, except for his deity, of course. But um, we're going to enjoy the kingdom and ruling in the kingdom with the king of kings and the Lord of lords, our prince, uh, the prince of peace and the bridegroom. Um, And this is just wonderful to think about. So in application, I want to say this. Are you, and and this is to the praise of his glory, he's going to be glorified and we're going to glorify him for this forever and eternity and worship him. So my application is this. Do you feel that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit? Do you, do you have that assurance? And perhaps you are doubting. Perhaps you're going through a difficult time. And you, or you wrestle, you're one who wrestles with this. That, okay, I have this seal, but I, do I have, you know, I just, I just don't always feel feel it. I just don't always know it. I struggle with it. And the assurance of that. And I know that, you know, I I know I have an inheritance, but yet, is it really mine? Am I really his? Is he really mine? And maybe it's because of sin or trials or, or just you wrestle with sometimes Decisions in your life or choices that you make. I know I struggle with this at times. So, have you been led by the Spirit? Have you ever been led by the Spirit? Have you felt God guiding you and leading you? Um, Have you ever suffered for the Lord? Have you ever um, been convicted of your sin leading to repentance? Have you ever felt the sense that you're his child? When you read the scriptures, has it ever jumped off the page at you and said, Hey, this is my word. This is the word of God. The spirit authenticating to you that this is the word of God. It's different than when we read other books. And you read something and it's like, man, this is the power of God here. This is the Lord speaking to me. And so maybe you don't feel it right at this moment, but look back at in your life. Is there evidence the Holy Spirit's working in you, that he's led you, that he's guided you, that he's convicted you, that he's answered your prayers, that he's poured out his blessings on you, that he's comforted you with his presence and with joy and worship If so, you have the seal of the Holy Spirit. And no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand or the Son's hand. And you're sealed until the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. He's the guarantee, the down payment, and you're going to receive the rest. And then I want to 
encourage you with this illustration. And I, I was talking to Jacob the other day at work because we, we both work in the same, well, pretty close to the same building, but met for lunch. And we were talking about how, you know, we have to be careful about saying this, something in scripture is a type. But I think, you know, sometimes just in lit, good literature and, 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 and even in God's story, there are echoes um, and, and things as things happen. I mean, it's, history has the same author as, as the gospel and, and especially biblical history. I mean, well, all history is authored by God and, and his sovereignty. But, but sometimes there are echoes and just there's examples that we can take from Old Testament scriptures. Um, to understand the New Testament. And so I want to take you to Genesis chapter 24. And I'm not going to say that this is the Holy Spirit necessarily intended this to be a type, but it could be um, a type that he gave us. And if not, it's an example. But in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham is growing old, and his wife Sarah has died just died and Isaac's I think around 40 or something and he's not married and so Abraham sends his oldest servant and old man and says hey I want you to go to my father's country and I don't want I don't want a wife from these you know pagan Canaanites around us for for Isaac I'm going to worship idols I want I want you to go to my father's country and get somebody who doesn't you know, worship all these idols around here. And, and so he sends him to find a wife for Isaac. And the servant goes with ten camels laden with gifts. And, and uh, I don't know what all was on them, but maybe food, maybe. I mean, there was definitely jewelry and clothing, as we find out later in the story. And he goes to water his donkeys when he arrives, and he just prays, God, uh, show me which one you want Isaac to marry and do it this way. Please give me a sign that if I ask her for a drink and she says, here, drink and also water your camels, then let that be the woman that you want Isaac to marry. And so he does, he, this beautiful woman walks down to the well, um, just incredibly amazingly beautiful and begins to draw water and he says will you give me a drink and she says drink and then she starts to water his camels you know and he's just kind of amazed sitting there watching this wow god answered my prayer this is the one and he he goes up to her and he puts these two bracelets on her wrist of gold weighing 10 shekels and half a shekel nose ring uh, I don't know, I hope that wasn't too heavy, but uh, half a shekel nose ring in her nose and gives her these gifts and, you know, she takes her to his home with the camels and everything and, and Laban, her brother, is there and who happens to be Abraham's nephew um, and and this would be his, I guess, great niece or whatever, but and Laban's there and his mother, and they see she's got this ring in her nose and the bracelets, and they're like, what's going on and everything. So um, Abraham's servant tells him this story, and, and Laban 
you recognize, okay, this is from God, you know, yeah, you can take her to be Isaac's wife or whatever. And so he gives these gifts, for, I guess, that were on these camels, these gifts of clothing and jewelry. Um, these, I mean, probably, you know, this would be like, you know, uh, something that, you know, was found found at Mar-a-Lago or something. I don't know. But but he gives her these wonderful gifts of clothing and jewelry um, and uh, presents her to these. And he has gifts for Laban and the mother as well. But, and then she ends up going back with him. And when she goes back with him, she sees um, on the camels, they're riding back. Isaac's out in the field meditating and she sees him there. And she uh, she sees him, and she goes out to him with her veil on, and he takes her back into his mother Sarah's tent and makes her his wife. And so this is a picture, if you think of it, Abraham being the father of Isaac, he sends the servant who could represent the Holy Spirit, and he sends him with gifts to Rebecca and the servant presents these gifts to her as sort of a down payment of the inheritance that she's going to have when she's married to Isaac and and then and the 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 bracelets the nose ring the jewelry the garments and then he brings her back to Isaac and she has the full inheritance as Isaac's wife. And she has the inheritance. She has the bridegroom, and she's with him. And he takes her to be his wife. And it's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit being perhaps this servant but also who's with her and takes her back to be with Isaac, who represents Christ. Um, but the Holy Spirit also who comes with these gifts and this foretaste of what the inheritance is going to be um, once Rebecca is with Isaac. And so the Holy Spirit has brought us the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought us His presence. And it's a foretaste of what we have when we meet the bridegroom and we shall be like him when we see him as he is, and we'll have resurrected bodies, the redemption of our bodies um, that it talks about in Romans. And we will inherit the kingdom, and we will inherit Christ, and we'll be with him forever. And I said this was going to come back to Christ, and it does, because um, Christ has purchased this inheritance for us with his blood. He has purchased the redemption of our bodies with his blood, and he's purchased us as a possession to himself with his blood, with his body, which was broken for us, and his blood, which was shed for us. And we're going to remember the purchase that he made as we have made as we observe the Lord's Supper today. Thank you.